This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome uh, retired Albany City Judge Tom Keefe to the program. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Good Retirement to t- is quite wonderful. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, but you may have retired from the bench, uh, but you have this great interest in history. And uh, Paul Grandel, who writes a very interesting news stories uh, quite often for the Times Union newspaper in Albany and also has a great interest in history, uh, had quite a story about about you and how you discovered uh, what are called broadsides from the early 1800s, specifically uh, one attacking Vice President Aaron Burr. Well, how did you hear about this? What was, what was the story there? Well, um, uh, uh, former Assemblyman Jack McEnany called me one day, now about two and a half years ago, um, uh, at my at my chambers, and asked me if I could if I would have some time at some point in the next couple of days to come up to the Albany Institute and take a look at actually four Aaron Burr broadsides. And he said they they were about to do the, the institute was about to do a two month supplement to their Hamilton exhibit by doing a little Burr exhibit, and mm-hmm. they, he was looking at these broadsides, several of which were undated. And they weren't. They wanted to know if I could come up and sort of date them for them, and interpret them, tell, sort of say, tell them about, you know, what they were about and when they were from. And I, I mean, I just, I literally got off the phone. I ran the two and a half blocks from my court to the institute, and for, uh, you know, and and was just, at, you know, Paul described, you know, my hyperventilating, <laughs> my disbelief, um, uh, because the. The one of the one broadside was the broadside that Paul extensively described. Um, that was undated. Um, I've now placed it as having been printed um, in about April of 1801, about a month after Burr was sworn in as vice president of the United States, and it, it, atta- it attacks Burr as a, a debaucher of women and a frequenter of houses of prostitution. And that, and, and that's that, 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 that's the sum and substance. The entire broadside is an attack on Burr for his sexual misbehavior. Wow, that sounds um, pretty contemporary, almost. But uh, <laughs> what, what was yeah. so what was so unusual about this to you as a historian, though? I mean, so they attacked yeah. Burr. What, what... Well, the you know it's it's certainly well known that newspapers of the day were free freewheeling. Right, mm-hmm. um, but what has been what has been little known or little recognized, and if and if the, if this particular if the Burr singular broadside was the only thing I found, it would have been quite wonderful, but it wouldn't have been as significant as what surrounded it, and what surrounded it is 120, 150 other political campaign broadsides the three other broadsides that day were all anti were all urging voters to vote against Aaron Burr for governor in 1804 so all the other three were were campaign broadsides from 1804 and the, and then again the the DeWitt Clinton broadside collection consists it actually consists of 200 broadsides about 80 of them are missing Mm-hmm. But uh, um, broad, political broadsides from, from governors' races, 
presidential races, congressional races in New York, state Senate, state assembly, um, from all over the state. Uh, the, the interesting thing about the three anti-bird broadsides is one is from Albany, one is from Manhattan, and one is from Staten Island. So they're from these broadsides are from all over the state of New York, and the 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 conve- the, hist- the conventional historic wisdom has been that political campaign items, thing relating to capturing voters' attention and imaginations and getting them to go to the polls and vote a certain way, mm-hmm. that that kind of thing didn't start until about 1824 in the in the first election between John, uh, John Quincy Adams and, and Andrew Jackson. Mm. And so this large group of broadsides, in a sense, changes conventional history relative to the history of political campaign material, mm. because this is a broad range of, of broadsides that are, that are, very, very specific political campaign items. They are urging people to vote one way or another. Again, we're so talking with... A remarkable uh, thing about this fine. Again, we're talking with the retired Albany uh, Judge Tom Keefe, who's an historian, and, and specifically you specialize or you collect uh, objects like this, do you not? That is correct. My, 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 primar- my primary historic interest... Well, my primary historic interest is American political history and specifically campaigning for office. And I collect paraphernalia that has to do with of, of people campaigning for office, and that's my, my historic interest. And mm. so these things are perfectly up my, my line. Mm. So you saw the, well, we're focused on the, the one uh, broadside that uh, Paul Grandel uh, talks about in a Times Union uh, article, which appeared in early October. Um, uh, this year, but you actually saw that, uh, I, I get the impression, a couple years ago, and then you were able to examine the other uh, broadsides, the other p- political um, documents. Well, that, and, go ahead. Well, that day, that on the day that I was, you know, hyperventilating over these four broadsides I was looking at, I was with Jack and with Diane Shawtalk, the curator of the museum, and, and, and Diane said, would you like to see the rest of them? And I was like, what are you talking about, the rest of them? Well, we own the, um, the, the DeWitt Clinton political broadside collection. And I said, what is the political the DeWitt Clinton? Well, we obtained it from his estate. And I was like, he, he died in like the eight, late 1820s or the 1830s. And she said, we've, we've been an institution since 1791, <laughs> and we got these broadsides from his estate. Would you like to see them? So that day... She brought out this museum box, and it's a beautiful, wonderful museum that they have, and the storage is is top-notch, you know, a state-of-the-art storage facilities with, you know, that is uh, temperature Mm, control control, and all that kind of stuff. So they brought out the rest, this box of the rest of the broadsides, and I spent about another hour going through them, but I was a working judge at the time. I had to go back to work. So since my retirement uh, two years ago, um, I have about about a year and a half ago, I started working at the Albany Institute a half day a week, and I've been working on a cataloging of this collection because this has never been these things have never been seen 
by anyone. They've never been, just other than the four Burr broadsides that were up in the museum for two months, they've never been publicly displayed. There are historians and, and museums all over the world that would have an interest in these. You know, museums loan things back and forth. No one's ever borrowed these from them. No researcher has ever come in and looked at them because they haven't been known. Mm. So my goal is to do the, do the catalog, have the catalog go online and sort of open this up to researchers. Um, even, you know, they, the, the Institute put out a press release a couple of weeks ago with regard to the, the program we're doing on October 12th in conjunction with the American Political Item Collector Show here in Albany. And we've, we've actually heard from historians and researchers um, throughout the United States already in the last couple of weeks who are saying, are you telling me the truth about you know, what, you're, what this, what this news, news article, what this press release is saying that you all have? Huh. And so this really is big news among uh, political item collectors. Well, I think it's big news amongst historians in general. You'll remember that about a year ago, there was a tremendous amount of publicity when Union College discovered that it owned a lock of George Washington's hair. It was in their <laughs> yes. collection. And that went viral all over the country, maybe all over the world. I actually saw it on one of the one of the prime national news stations that a lock of George Washington hair had been found. And the truth of the matter is that locks of George Washington's hair are not particularly uncommon. There are probably dozens of known example, maybe more than dozens of locks of George Washington's hair. It's a it's an unbelievable kind of thing, but it's not like oh my god, we've never heard of this before. The Albany Institute has six different DeWitt Clinton presidential campaign broadsides from 1812 when he ran for president against James Madison, right? Mm -hmm. And there are none, there is no, I've done a tremendous amount of research. I've been in this, I've been in this organization of political collectors for 49 years, so I know all the serious political collectors all over the country. There is another, not another known DeWitt Clinton presidential campaign item in existence in any private or public collection in the world that is known. Huh. And the Albany Institute has six different ones, plus another one, which is a duplicate of one of the ones they have. So mm. they actually have seven. Now, since this That's came... A remarkable find. A remarkable find. <laughs> since this came out, I mean, has some other museums... Oh, that? Oh, yeah, we have some of those, too. No. Uh, yeah, listen. It's not certainly not impossible. Um, uh, there, but the thing is, so so far, first of all, it, you know, it hasn't come out big time. It's only in the past couple of weeks there's been any publicity about it. Um, uh, so it's not impossible that that other that other things will turn up. And as a matter of fact, since I've been collecting so long, you know, it happens all the time. One of the nice, interesting things about political item collecting. It's not like collecting coins or stamps, which are wonderful collectible kind of stuff. But the bottom line is everybody knows how many of every coin was made, how many of every stamp was made. Mm -hmm. um, political campaign material is such a wide variety, often locally made. You know, So companies in Albany, New York 
150 years ago would produce political campaign material. In this particular case, many of these broadsides are printed in Albany, New York. As I said, they're actually printed all over the state of New York, but many are from Albany, New York. And so, and probably when, when these broadsides were printed in 1812, they probably only ran off 20 copies. They, they didn't run off hundreds of copies. They didn't run off thousands of copies. And these things weren't created. They weren't put on the printing press and printed for the purposes of you and I looking at them 160, 70 years later. They were made to put up on a wall um, to, to, to talk about an event that, was going, that either happened yesterday or was going to happen tomorrow. Right? Mm-hmm. And then they would be taken down tomorrow and some other broadside would be put up <laughs> yeah yeah is do you suppose this was a new york state thing in particular that maybe in other states they go ahead yeah there 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 is there's a lot of historic research and knowledge about collecting political campaign material um i'm not and i'm fairly, i'm very knowledgeable about the history of collecting political campaign material and it generally is believed to have started in, in the late 1800s. Prior to that, it was really people who collected things about George Washington and people who collected Lincoln. There's not any known uh, there's not any known collectors of generalized political campaign material prior to the 1880s. So this is a collection that was put together and bound into a volume. All of these were in one large volume, sewn in. They were literally sewn in, in a hardcover volume that you, you know, turn the pages of. Um, they were taken, the, the professional con- conservation staff that the Albany Institute had in the 50s and 60s removed them from the bi- volume and conserved them and put them into these protective plastics. So my belief, and I, I plan on spending a lot more time researching the, the Albany Institute is an old institution. It has all of its records. And whenever the Albany Institute takes something into its collection, if I donated something to them, they would make it they would take some time to make a determine whether they wanted what I donate. And and the board of directors would actually vote to accept my donation and I would get a what was what's called a deed of gift from them, acknowledging that I had given a gift. So they have all those records. So yeah. I believe, with time, I'm probably going to be able to find the records in the Albany Institute where they actually accepted this collection um, from their board member, Samuel Springer. He eventually became pre- uh, president of the board of the Albany Institute. That's where these came from. So my belief is that during this period of time that these broadsides are from, 18, 1789 to 1813, um, during that period of time, DeWitt Clinton was his uncle George Clinton's secretary. George Clinton was the first governor of New York. Mm-hmm. And, he, and, and DeWitt Clinton was you know, a major political activist, a major political leader. So I believe that these were gathered, again, from all over the state. And so back then, DeWitt Clinton wasn't traveling to Buffalo and traveling to uh, Binghamton and traveling to Staten Island, right? So these these were being provided to him by political operatives for some political 
reason, mm. you know, it, it, rather than because he was oh interested in kind okay. of collecting these things. That's my supposition, but that's what I you know I do plan on trying to get to the bottom of why exactly DeWitt Clinton put this collection together. You are listening to the Historian's Podcast. We're talking with Tom Keefe, who is an historian, a retired city judge in, in Albany. We'll be back with him in just a moment talking about political broadsides from the early days of the Republic. The Historian's Podcast depends on your contributions to keep going. We have a GoFundMe campaign. Go to GoFundMe.com forward slash historians 2018 and then you can make a donation using your credit card online if you'd rather not do that you could make out a check to me bob cudmore and send it to bob cudmore 125 horstman drive scotia new york 12302 and thank you very much we're talking with Tom Keefe, retired Albany City judge and historian, especially interested in political items. And we're talking with him about a cache of political broadsides that are at the Albany Institute of History and Art, which uh, he uh, was made aware of just a, a year or two ago. And since then, uh, in his retirement, has been working on on cataloging these uh broadsides uh, th- that, uh, uh, let's say, attack opposing political candidates or, or support whoever it is you're supporting. And uh, the point is that uh, scholars thought that this kind of thing uh, did not happen in America until uh, a few uh, decades after, let's say, uh, 1801, where uh, some of these broadsides came from. My, my question, though, is... Um, Do you think that only in New York State they use broadsides, or do you think they did them in other states as well, or we just don't know? Oh, no. Broadsides were a common common phenomena that developed after the development of the printing press. And so broadsides exist all over over the world as the printing press um, spread. Um, So broadsides, a broadside is a very common um, thing that existed, they, it isn't just about politics. Uh, when uh, very common that so when a sh- when a ship would come into port in any port in the world where there were printing presses, the merchants would produce broadsides announcing next Tuesday, our ship so and so will come in from Amsterdam and it will be bringing a load of and it would list the produce. Um, uh, the Albany Institute, you know, in a, in their own own collection of broadsides has a wonderful broadside um, that includes an image of a runaway slave basically advertising a reward for the return of a runaway slave. And and this particular broadside was published in Albany, New York. Um, Organizations would, would, you know, would, would pay a printer to print a broadside announcing festivals and things of that sort. So broadside were an extremely common everyday occurrence anywhere there were printing anywhere the printing press exists, and so uh, you know what was what was and 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 campaign campaign broadsides in the 1820s and 1830s and 1840s, 50s, 60s, basically once the the, the once printing moved away from the printing press to other types of printing methods, 
we stop calling them broadsides. We start calling them posters, right? Oh, okay. So uh, the, basically a broadside is, is something produced. It's one-sided produced on a printing press. It's something that was made by a printing press. So very, very common thing to exist. What was What has not been recognized in the political historic political community is the extensive use of broadsides for political campaign purposes prior to 1824. And again, back in, you know, in 1801 and 1804, the dates of those four Aaron Burr broadsides, you know, well under 10% of the population of the state of New York or any other state for that matter, had the right to vote. You know, the vast majority of human beings in the United States had absolutely no right to vote. You know, so the, the electorate was extremely small. There was a uh, controversial election, I think, in 18, 1791, Governor George Clinton running for re-election, challenged by John Jay. And uh, the, the election... There was a controversy over whether some of the votes from some of the upstate New York counties would be counted because the votes were delivered to the Secretary of State contrary to the Constitution of New York. And so the, the, the votes of three states were not counted, and the, the election result changed from Jay winning to Jay losing and, and Clinton being reelected. The total votes, despite the fact that at that point there were there was a population in the state of New York of well over a million people, the total vote for governor in that controversial election was about 30,000 people all over the state of New York, despite the fact that we had a population of well over a million. So what I'm saying is, mm-hmm. if, there's, if nobody, virtually nobody has the right to vote, why produce political material, right? Mm-hmm. Why not just, why instead of putting up a broadside, why not just talk to your friends and say, hey, go vote for George yeah. Clinton? <laughs> I think you don't need these things. Well, now we have learned, and I guess in, in retrospect, shouldn't have been surprised, right? If a merchant is putting producing broadsides and plastering them around town because my ship is coming in next week, then, of course, a candidate running for governor's committee would be producing these kinds of things. It makes a lot of sense. We just haven't seen them before. Ah, well, that's that's remarkable when you find something that you haven't seen before. Especially when you've been looking. <laughs> right. I've, I've spent, for 50 years, I've been looking, and so have hundreds and hundreds of other people. And these uh, broadsides are archived, if you will, or at the uh, Albany Institute Albany Institute of History and Art, which is on Washington Avenue in Albany. And they are displaying some of them? Or no. No, no, no. No, they, listen, they, if you haven't been to the Albany Institute, get there. It's a remarkable museum. It is a delightful museum, not the least of which is the largest collection of Hudson River School paintings in the world and you know, located in one place in the world. And that's a breathtaking, uh, that is always on display and that's breathtaking. But no, these broadsides are in storage like the vast majority of what the Albany Institute owns, <laughs> they are not on display. They will be on display on Friday, October 12th, from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock 
at Ramada, um, at the Ramada Inn on, uh, I think it's Commerce Avenue, right off of Everett Road. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll be the first time they've, they've been displayed since since they were obtained more than 150 years ago. I have a, you know, we have a general plan to, to plan out a future display. Um, I have to finish the catalog first. I, my goal is to finish the catalog first. But we've been talking to the, to the uh, I've been talking with the Institute staff about, okay, what now? And so we have some ideas. But, you know, the Albany Institute, when something goes on display, it's, a, it's generally like a year-and-a-half, two-year process. They're, mm-hmm. they're, planning, they're planning their programs for two years from now, right now. <laughs> um, and it, it, so this, we will, there'll be something done with some of these at some point, and I hope the not-too-distant future, but there is no specific plan. Other than October 12th, there is no specific plan. <clears throat> well, I've got a, another idea It's probably occurred to you. I mean, you've talked to a well-known writer, Paul Grondel. You think there's a book yep. here? I, actually, I do, and a, a good a good friend of mine a, 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 from for forty years, a, a political collector from Rhode Island, passed away a year ago. Produced a book, a wonderful book, thirty five years ago, uh, called the the broadsides of the Door Rebellion, um, and the Door Rebellion was a uh, was a political military skirmish in the eighteen forties in in Rhode Island, where there were two separate governments. Uh, uh, claiming, claiming to have won elections, um, and so it, so as soon as I saw the the, the DeWitt Clinton collection, I thought of Dan Schofield's book about the broadsides of the door uh, collection, and so I immediately thought, you know, there should be a similar style book of the broads, you know, the broadsides of the DeWitt Clinton collection um, put together. Uh, it would be a very interesting project. <laughs> mm. Can you, uh, you focus? Uh, we just have a couple minutes left on the uh, on some specific uh, things that you've just found, or what really in, intrigues you in the collection. Well, the the uh, I've had a, every day on there is fun because I discover new things. So several months ago, I was uh, working on a. I, I was working. To, my catalog, what my catalog does is it is it does a synopsis of what the broadside is all about, what it's saying, and it, it also makes a list of every person's name that's in the broadside. So I was I was re- reading this one broadside from 1801. It was an anti-George Clinton for re-election broadside. He was running for re-election for governor back then. Governor terms were three years, and the broadside said that that DeWitt Clinton is a feeble old man that, you know, basically can't even take care of himself and he's being controlled by others. If you reelect him, if you reelect him governor, and, and by the, in 1801, he wasn't governor. He actually stepped aside for two terms. Um, and then he came back in 1801. If you reelect him governor, what you will be doing is allowing the infamous citizen Genet to become dictator of the state of New York. Right now, Citizen Genet was right the French ambassador to the United States when George Washington was president, and and we, we all learned about Citizen Genet in when we were in high school about how he had gotten in as a as the ambassador to France here in the United States, he had gotten heavily involved in politics, and eventually, um, John Adams, uh, President John Adams, 
asked him to be recalled. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting reading this broad saying, saying, what in the world are they talking about suggesting that if Clinton is reelected, Citizen Genet will become dictator of the state of New York? So I went to work researching Citizen Genet, come to real, realize that when he was recalled by France, he did not go back because by the time he was recalled, all his friends in France had had their heads cut off. Oh, and he wasn't going back to have his head cut off, right? <laughs> so he stayed in the United States, became an American citizen, married George Clinton's daughter, lived in Greenbush, New York, for the rest of his life. Really? Uh, our guest, Tom Keefe, talking about political broadsides from the early 1800s. This has been the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.